All right, we are we are hot. If we get back to doing photography, we'll do like a general. Yeah, I forgot where we left we'll, off. Well, well, let's get back in it. We'll do basics of underwater photography, and then the next episode we'll do specifically light. lighting. It's not going well. Clearly. The Great Dive Podcast is hosted by your buddies, James and Brando. Okay, so uh, let's get let's get back into this. We're gonna do uh, let's let's get back into photography. Why? But why? Yeah, actually, I love uh, talking about photography. So I'd much rather talk about photography than the stupid shit we've been talking about. <laughs> okay, yeah. I'm kidding. So, uh, that's that's uh, edit. Uh, Are you gonna edit that? Out? No, that's probably gonna be, that's gonna be the opening. <laughs> that's gonna be the opener right there. Okay, so welcome back to the Great Dive Podcast. With old Schwartzy. Old Schwartzy. Now we're changing. I know we're uh, we're we're adopting this new why thing, but I was I'm having a hard time accepting it. I, I love the sentiment. I don't want you to get we, me wrong. We came up with that. I don't want you to think I'm not appreciative. You came up with that. You know, you really grateful. You, you you know you're a good friend when you got that. Got the name, why? I know, and the, and that's what I mean. I I was touched when I read that. I was like, that's something, because I was like, oh, they changed my goddamn name. And then my wife's reading it to me. You know, she I was driving, she was uh, reading the the post or whatever, and I was, oh well, I'm, that touches that gets me. I have a heart of stone, but occasionally somebody gets out a little chisel and gets right into the crack there. Schwartzy is what they call my boy. Oh, is school. it? Hey, Schwartzy. Yeah. Schwartzy. So. No, I, th- I still like the Brando. Brando's, yeah, it's old from whenever, from actually like school when I was a kid. But I actually had a guy who used to call me um, something with stogie. Oh, because I always had Brando. my pencil in my mouth like I was Brando. smoking a cigar. You ever see a grown man naked? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you ever been in a cockpit? <laughs> you like movies about gladiators. <laughs> yeah. And so... Uh yeah, back to yeah, old Jamesy, old, old and old Schwartzy, and, and old James O. There we go. <laughs> We're gonna change it up. James, James O. and Schwartzy. Nobody like you know. What do they say? Uh, consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds or small minds. I think is the exact quote, and that's a quote from uh, Henry David Thoreau, Walden Pond. Uh, great book. Oh yeah, I got it on my. Uh... Uh, which, by the way, he was a cancer. As well, cancer native. Us cancers, we stick together. Stick together. Pisces is where it's at. It has some redeeming qualities. Both water signs. Although I'm a cardinal water sign. <laughs> I'm a I'm a I'm a fish water sign. I know. Look, here we go now. <laughs> You're a cardinal water sign. <laughs> tweet I mean, tweet. <laughs> okay. Anyway, 
Brando uh, and Jamesy, back at you with the Great Time yes. Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. And we are going to get back into some underwater photography as highly requested from you guys. Because we have uh, we had a hell of a weekend. Uh, hell of a weekend. With some uh, with some photos, some some good viz uh, down there at White Star Quarry. And then... Our new training and location. The, and then our you, new official training location. Uh, it's official. got the stamp of approval from TGDP. Yes, it does. And uh, your guys' uh, photo-taking abilities made that even more spectacular than wow. what was already spectacular. Because well, I know... Thanks, James O. I know a lot of people could have went down there with a camera and and took some pictures, and they could have come out pretty crappy. I'm, I, not, I'm not saying, like, if I yeah. had the camera. No, you can take a... James can take a... James O. can take a mean photo. He's not... I, a, I've, a, I've got the artistic he eye. He does, for, for sure. For, for, he does. But I don't have... The, the technical eye you do thing. like like you've got that the brain of you're like oh man i need to go to f11 i need to uh you know need change f11 eye. that's the most ridiculous thing i've ever heard <laughs> drop that iso down first i don't even know what i said i just i just keep hitting the shutter one of these shots. Put it on the little green twisting, square. Twisting, I keep twisting the knob on the yeah, top until it's on the and, green square. And until that means, yeah. until the uh, the shot comes out that I've got Perfect. imaged in my head. And I also remember those settings. <laughs> Put it on this green square. Camera do the thing. All I know is the number goes higher. The hole gets the, the, the hole, hole gets, gets smaller. Uh, smaller. It's backwards. It doesn't make mm-hmm. any sense. Who the hell uh, thought of these numbers? It was Einstein. Rosenstein. Whatever bridge. I mean, the hole gets bigger. The numbers should get bigger. Schrodinger's cat. We were talking. Uh, there's a lot of good, good. Uh, I mean, the ISO, science talk. I mean, I mean the ISO. <laughs> well, the, that goes the, without the, saying. The number gets bigger. The speed goes up. Well, the, makes perfect sense. Oh yeah, if you put, if you jack your ISO up, by all means, you can you can increase your shutter speed. Yes, very good. You're getting it, man. Slowly, slowly but surely. I'm proud. I'm damn proud. That's the thing about uh, you know talking about photography. Talking is great for the technical aspects, and you can talk a little bit about the artistic eye, but it's very difficult to convey. Like, there's no like always do this, and you'll have a great photo with the artistic portion, right? Well, you can have a you can have a technically good photo, photo that just isn't it fun is, to look at. Doesn't do anything yeah, for yeah. you, right? And then you get. Uh, you know, like I see people that just like yourself, you have a good eye that you can just say, okay, I want to, and that's more about composition and maybe taking advantage of a light placement. So it, uh, it uh, what's the word? It elicits a favorable response artistically or aesthetically. Uh, and sometimes people can't get that. And I work on that. I mean, yeah, I, pleasing to the eye. Yeah, pleasing to the eye. Aesthetically pleasing, yes. Yeah. So we can have a nice conversation about the technical aspects of, of photography underwater or just photography in general. And we'll talk a little bit about trying to get the best composed shot. There are some some guidelines that help with composition. The more you shoot, the more you get an idea. Well, yeah, that, uh, that, the artistic eye starts that, to, to form. Yeah. And that's one thing that you can't say enough of is being a good underwater photography all definitely starts with being a good photographer number one yeah knowing the camera no. and then being a good diver i think that's number one actually and then being able to blend the two and realizing mm-hmm. that well photography on the surface is not the same as photography photography underwater because you're in a completely different right. element so you got to be able to blend those two together exactly yeah you which have means to, you got to be good in both exactly yeah 
a crappy diver, occasionally may get a, a good photo. You know, he's a crappy diver, halfway decent with a camera, gets underwater. They're going to, the thing about digital now is you can snap 10,000 photos. It and that's cost like, you and, and that's uh, what I keep in my back pocket, right? So I'm not that good of a photographer. I don't know. I'm, pretty, I I'm, a, pretty, good. I'm a pretty good diver. I can take 10,000 photos, photos and I can snap out a, a couple of decent ones. Well, I, th- I don't even think you, I think you can take, you know, take 100 photos and you're going to, you're still going to get, you know, 40 or 50 nice ones. You know, they, I've seen your work. You're great. I think you're pretty good. The the thing that I think we're talking about more today is the newer diver who buys a camera and is flopping around in the water and destroying the visibility, but happens to get a few shot, you know, a few hundred shots off before the visibility is taken. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And out of that, they might get one or two. That that's a nice, that's a halfway decent photo. Wouldn't it be nice if you didn't destroy the visibility? Everybody else could get a photo as well. And you don't have to do all that processing time going through a thousand photos. You know, you go through five. Well, that's the the, two keepers. The the ultimate end of a of a higher quality photographer right. is that there's less to sort through. Right. Right. You don't have to take oh, ten thousand yeah, yeah. photos to get ten good ones. They, you can take twenty shots and get ten good ones. Maybe. Exactly. And that's that's what ultimately what you're looking to do with becoming a better photographer nowadays. Right. And that's what you try to tell photographers coming in that you know or budding photographers or ph- photography enthusiasts that are getting into diving is the idea is to have the vision in your mind know how to make that vision a reality on the on the sensor or on the screen and and get it one time you know go out and do it that's what they pay big you know big money to professional photographers for is uh you're going to go in there have the shot that they want immediately so time is money you don't have to waste a lot of time and it's exponentially important with diving because time is extremely limited don't we have that's one of those major variables that you gotta gotta work against that limited gas supply limited time yeah right, and then and then take it's a like, technical like, dive with photography. Right, yeah, yeah. Cool. It's not like taking a picture of birds where you mm-hmm. can sit out in the in the woods for yes. ten, out, ten hours. Yes. Right? Yeah. You, you don't have that luxury as a yeah. diver, and it won't kill you should you step out. You know, whereas you you'll compromise yeah. your safety if you start going over your time limit, and that's why being a good diver comes first to be a good photographer underwater and they they kind of work hand in hand they've got a synergistic relationship in the quest to obtain that that picture you know that's always been my thing it's this quest why you know why do i always have my cameras because i'm looking for that one picture that you're like oh nailed it you know or you think it's like anything else you know when you're doing anything and you everything comes together and you get that whether it's a sport, uh, an endeavor like photography or woodworking or whatever, you feel it when it's just, you know, you, you hit everything. It's like, uh, you know, the Buddhists have that um, samsara, I think it's called, whatever, when it's just like that moment of complete awakening. You're like, oh, I got it. But to get that takes a lot of yeah, work it's and the, practice the, the and knowledge. doing without yes. doing. It just That's, happens. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Very good. So, Man. And athletes we're, talk we're about so, it too. So philosophical. Oh, as I get older, you know, life takes on a different. No, athletes definitely get it. You know, it's flow. You know, they call it flow back in the day when I was young. Is uh, and I keep interrupting. I'm sorry. Well, it's uh, it's being in the zone. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It happens without without the games coming out of you. Yeah, Yeah. that's. And then it it comes together, and you get that one perfect. You know, in photography, it's just that one perfect shot uh, that you go, okay, it was all worth it. All the the ten thousand hours of reading, practicing, processing, diving, practicing, you know, 
continually all that money that you put into training and and equipment and you and you were able to finally put it all together for that one shot you can put on the wall and say and every time you look at it you, you know the feeling comes back nailed oh it. Yeah. yeah there you go good call well in the recent scuba diving magazine there is a new article in the training section by a brent durand brent durand wait is he british is he British, Mike? Oi, I don't really know. I don't. I, I think he's. Uh, I think this. He's a Yankee from down. Uh, Yankee from up north, or is he southern? He's a Yank. You know, he's a good old American like us. This I old think, but I don't article know. here. We we listened to this about six thirty last night. Four score and seven years ago. I wrote After this supper, <laughs> mine's more of a. I'm trying to do a Matthew McConaughey, Texas, Georgia, Alabama. That's a broad range of states. Well, that that what's the word? That dialect? That uh, what is that? The, the like the southern draw? No, but like in in England, you have different. It's not really a dialect. There's another word from the region, like Cockney or whatever. It's from the region of England you're in, and and if you are English or British, whatever English, you can tell where the person's from based on that. Like I can tell a Matthew McConaughey is a Texas accent, but. It, they blend into like Alabama and Texas is, and then you closer you get to Georgia, I think, in the Carolinas, it gets more southern. Well, that's because but the, Texas that's is cause Texas. The, that's because the moonshine's setting in. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But am I, you know, I constantly am working on my impersonations solely for the show. Uh, they're, 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 they're getting better. They're getting better. <laughs> My daughter would argue. My wife hates me. All, for th- about three hours last night, I did Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> what time's supper? About 6.30? 6.30, 30. These parts here, we usually... It's not a great Matthew McConaughey, but I'm, uh, I'm no. honing it. Let, uh, let your wife know. I, I prescribed <laughs> three more hours tonight because you're still a little off. So this article is Underwater Photography Tips for Strobe Positioning. Which is... A great topic. I know a lot of photographers, budding photographers especially, that have moved up from, say, uh, one of the small point-and-shoot type cameras with uh, the attached strobe. You know, it comes with a strobe, or you can pay a little extra and have that strobe put on. That strobe is very close to the lens, and it does light up things. And in great viz, it it does a halfway decent job. But when you move up in a camera, you want a DSLR or an SLR, whatever, if you're going to stick with film. Anyway, if you you want to really be able to capture the best photo in even less vis or not in less than stellar visibility, you need to get one or two strobes farther away from the lens. And we'll talk about why, but that's it. So a lot of photographers always ask me, you know, well, how do I place my strobes well? Well, it's, it's not it's, a simple it's key question. To getting a, yeah. a well, I mean, unless you're diving in distilled water. Yes. Right? There's going to be particulate. Gin clear caves, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and that the light is going to be detrimental to the shot in a, in a lot of cases, depending on where, right. where it's pointing. The strobe, yeah. And that's what I mean. When you take photos here on the surface, you have a, you know, a lot of people, especially with the point shoot, but even with the DSLRs, they'll have a, a built-in little flash that pops up and you'll take a photo and you'll get red eye a lot. Or with pets, they get what's called pet eye, which is more of a green or a blue or gray or kind of thing where the pupil is, is basically, you know, like a red eye, the pupil's red, right. right? And that's from the light going and hitting the back of your eyeball where there's a lot of blood vessels. At least that's what I've, I've been taught. And it's be- due to the fact that the light source that's illuminating your subject 
is very close to the lens. So the angle is like that angle angle of refraction or whatever. It goes out, hits the subject, and goes right back in. And that causes problems. You know, it, it gives you the red eye. It also catches anything floating in the atmosphere between your subject and the lens, or the sensor, I should say. So the problem there is, underwater, we always have a lot of little particulate. Sometimes you don't see it. You see it on the, on the picture, there. on yeah. the photo. You're like, holy crap, there's all there's, kinds of sand floating in here. Yeah. So being able to take a picture through that is, is basically due to the lighting. Yes, and, and that's where you can do your magic, really. You can go into a, an environment with less than stellar visibility. Like you go in and it's, you're like, wow, there's a lot of stuff crap floating in this water so visibility tends to get down you know 10 feet 20 feet whatever if you place your strobes right you can make that place look like you know the visibility is spectacular if you can place your strobes right that's the whole key and to do that you have to understand what's going on with the light and how it bounces off your subject into your sensor into your lens and then into your sensor uh, so that's why you know people I think our last photography episode which was a while back we got feedback uh, people loved it. They wanted to hear yeah, more. Right, and right and on one, this. Yes. And one right on this specific uh, this. subject. Right. So old Brent starts off his article saying, it's basic ocean science. Water absorbs color the deeper you go, turning everything into a monotonous blue. A strobe's white light is a game changer and an essential part of an underwater photographer's kit. This light contains the entire spectrum, making color visible again and transforming dishwater dull scenes into vibrant displays of nature. You can get creative with strobe positioning, but first, it's important to master a few basic techniques. Word. And he goes into wide-angle strobe positioning. All right, so so he goes over the, the two broad ranges of, of photography, in this right so the wide angle photography which is i think what most people first get into because they're, they're just seeing so much in the water they want to capture it all and then later they want to get into the macro the close-up photography yeah because there's they they start to hone their eye and they see the little things the seahorse right the head of the eel the flamingo tongue on the on the yeah well yeah and each hold their own and you know pros and cons of course you know wide angle gives you the entire environment it's like you want to get a picture of a shipwreck and a diver. That's, to me, that's a pretty cool shot, right? You want to bring that back to show folks. This is where, where we're diving. To, in order to get that, you need a wide-angle lens because you want to be able to get as close to your subject as possible with as little water or little, you know, water being the atmosphere you're shooting in. That's what's going to absorb the light, you know, from your strobe or even from the surface. You want as little between you and that sensor, that lens going into the sensor, as possible. So in order to do that, you need a wide-angle lens that you can get within three or four feet of a diver and still capture the entire diver on the on the shot. And then you put a dome port in front of it. And the dome port kind of... Uh, makes the best use of the magnification of water to a certain extent. You know you know how water magnifies our, our vision, right? right. It's four-thirds kind of deal. Uh, the dome port allows the camera to go into water, and it actually, what I believe it does is it kind of takes away the distortion to a certain extent and still keeps it a wide shot. Uh, because you've seen a wide angle, you know, the fisheye shot is, like if I took a picture of your face with a wide angle shot and you're in the middle of it, your nose is going to be huge. That's why you don't use a, a wide-angle shot for a portrait. Right, which is which is where I think a lot of people get the confusion of 
what you had just said about with the wide angle, you need to get close to the subject. Mm -hmm. And they would think, well, if I want to take something real close up, then it would make sense to have that wide angle lens. But in reality, it's a different lens. That's where you get into the macro stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and with macro, when we're talking about wide angle, you have a millimeter. Usually it's expressive millimeters. uh, That's your focal length when you buy a lens. So like an 8 to 15, a very low number is wide. The lower the number, the wider the shot. Okay, and that's because the distance from the lens uh, focus point to the sensor gets very small versus a macro shot, which usually you use like a zoom uh, telephoto lens. I shouldn't say zoom, but a telephoto lens, which is you start to get in the higher numbers. Like I use 100 millimeter for my, my macro, which really allows you to focus on a very tiny subject. In other words, that subject, like a, the eye of a fish, will take up the entire sensor. Right. And I think a lot of people that are getting into underwater photography, their experience with a telephoto lens mm-hmm. has been so I can stand 100 yards away right. and focus on something. But I don't, I don't really have that application underwater because of the medium of the water being right. so dense that I just can't get through it that far. Right. Exactly. You're not able to see that far and you're actually you know hindering your shot that's why you want a wide angle shot to get a a big subject from very close up you'll still be able to get the subject and minimize the water between you and with a zoom or a telephoto lens a macro telephoto lens got to make sure you point that out because a macro allows you to focus very close if you just got a regular telephoto lens like a 200 millimeter that i use for for a lot of my sports shots that i can't focus if it's any closer than like six feet or eight feet. With a macro lens, it's designated as a macro lens. You click on a macro switch and you can focus like five inches away and it'll take up the entire uh, sensor. Yeah, so the focal point being the key. Focal point is the key with those and that's what, you know, that's why you use the different lenses. Um, so you can, if you want that nice close up shot, you want the seahorse's head. That's all you want. You don't use a wide angle lens because even if you got, a quarter inch away from it, you're going to get a, a lot of background, and that horse's head will be small in the center of it. Seahorse's right, yep. head. Uh, you want that. You want that zoom lens where you can still get six inches away. You know, like the eye and the mouth. You know, very face will take up the entire shot. Right, or you get these shots of these pygmy seahorses. The pygmy uh, seahorses. Right. I mean, it's literally the size of you know your your little finger and fingernail yes did you ever see the cannibal pygmy they're cannibals pygmy seahorses no no neither have i (laughs) i've heard of them i've read of them but do you remember the pygmy tribes don't you yes 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 that's a play on that (laughs) that's the dumbest joke i've ever heard (laughs) whoops i i kind of see where you're going with it but you lost a little bit of credibility (laughs) hey listen they can't all be zingers they can't all be zingers (laughs) They can't all be singers. You got that right. Especially this morning. Huh? So, Good God, have another drink. Yeah. Drink your coffee. <laughs> <sighs> okay, so so after you get the right lens, though, you still got to light up the subject to, uh, to, right. to, get, to get that color mm-hmm. back and, and, and then a lot of times um, get some effect mm-hmm. and, and some depth to the actual photo, the, right? Which is what that, the color is going to do. Yeah, you don't want a flat photo. I mean... I mean, some, maybe there are times you're aiming for that. I just want this flying photo. It's very getting our, all artsy on you. But if you want a true representation of what you're seeing, you need to use light to your advantage. And you've got to bring it with you underwater. Right. And, and I mean, the artsy part is 
that's the philosophical part of yeah, photography yeah, yeah. that you know has been discussed for hundreds of years and will continue to billions to go of years, on, really billions you know, of years. It's science. Ever since, it's pretty much since the first cave drawing. Somebody else looked at it and well, it's in the wanted Bible. To, wanted to draw it from a different perspective. Let there be light. Let there be canon. Let there be strobe. <laughs> Let there be strobe light. <laughs> and it was good. Okay, so so Brent makes three points in discussing these wide angle strobe positioning. The first one, he says, when you illuminate the water between the housing port and the subject, light bounces off of sand and particulate in the water, creating white spotted backscatter like we've been talking about Mm -hmm. uh, already here today. And the goal is to light the subject without lighting that area in front of the camera. So we need to position our strobes out to the side of the housing. The farther away the subject, the wider your strobes need to be. Exactly. Yeah, by getting that light source wide, in other words, away from and to the side of that the lens, what it does is it changes the angle of reflection into the lens. So when the light does hit that little particle, it won't bounce into the lens. It'll actually bounce off to the side. So it, it's effectively making the, that particle invisible because there's... You, you see by reflection of light. That's what you see by. Yeah, the human if, eye. Right. So if the light doesn't bounce back into your eye and it bounces off to the side, you effectively you don't see it. That's the theory and the practice, really, and getting those strobes farther and farther away, the, wide, the farther away you are from your subject. If you get in close, I don't know if you noticed over the weekend when we dove, like I wanted to get a shot, a really close-up shot of you using the, that's called a wide-angle close-up shot, a WACU, W-A-C-U. And uh, what I had to do is I didn't have my strobes way out to the side. I kind of moved them in and pointed them, pointed them in at your face So I, and got real close. So I minimized the distance or the water, the environment in between the lens and my subject. And I wanted the the light to bounce directly into the to the lens, knowing that there's minimal atmospheric interference. You can you can point it in. Then when you get further away from your subject, now you're putting a lot more crap in between you. Yeah, move those lights out and start pointing them away from your subject. So the light is only catching on the peripheral. Now there's times where you can, you know, and again this is the artsy part that it always mm-hmm. comes to my in, into my head of. There's times where the book says the subject's farther away. You want the strobes far away. Mm-hmm. As you get closer, you're going to bring the, the strobes in closer. But there's a certain effect that by being close, even though the strobe should be in close, you could open up and, and get something unique. And that's where mm-hmm. Brent goes into talking about consider the direction in which you are aiming the light because you'll see shadows on the other side of the subject. Position a single strobe above the housing, place dual strobes to the side and slightly higher than the housing. So creating those shadows mm-hmm. typically is what you're trying to avoid with the strobes. You're, unless yeah. you're trying to get some artsy effect to it, and then you're going to break good. those rules mm-hmm. to, to get the, that effect. Yeah, and again, that's why I say they're, they're more of a, a guideline that will elicit a desired effect, right? Uh, and and these professional photographers, these incredible photographers that are out there getting just these awesome shots they get these shots because they know how to use the light and they know that those rules are they're there to teach you but you don't have they're not like rules you need to follow in the sense of oh if you break this it'll be a crappy shot you need to know how to break those rules or those guidelines and position the lighting to get your desired effect and that comes with a lot of practice 
taking a lot of pictures, you know, and, and logging that in your memory. When I move the, move the strobe here, I get this. When I have this subject here and this strobe here, I get this back. So you break them sometimes when you're experimenting. You play with different things and see what the effect is. And when after you do it for a while, you get some experience, you'll be able to pull that tool out of your tool bag, you know, as a choice and get that exact shot you had in your mind. Again, we go back to what we, we were saying earlier. That's the sign of a pro. That's the sign of somebody who knows what they're doing and what, ultimately what you're aiming for with all this, right? I want a shot. I got it pictured in my head. How do I get it? Well, I know how because I practice and I... I read this cool article by Brent Durand and listen to the Great Dad podcast. Uh, but, yeah, you go in there and you play with those strobes and move them. And, and in the other thing, yeah, go ahead, James. And that's the, the, the value of why you're going down to the training location. Yes. You know, every week, you know, uh, knocking out a bunch of dives so that in a month when you actually go out and you do the shipwreck dive, mm-hmm. you've already... I mean, you've already taken hundreds of photos yeah. playing around with those strobes on the on the little boats in the quarry, and then finally you show up on game day, and it's now you're going to make all that magic come right. to life. Exactly. Rather than the only time, I mean, if you just pull your camera out on the big dive, you're going to you're, you're going to constantly experiment and and, and have the ten thousand photos and one <laughs> keeper. Yeah, exactly. If you even get one keeper, I mean, you can go and. You pay for the charter, you bring all your crap, you fly with your junk wherever you're going, and you get there and you haven't practiced, and you are trying to learn as you go on a dive that you paid good money for, and then you're going to come back with it, and, and all you're going to be doing is Yeah, I mean, the last praying. day of the trip, yeah. you're going to start pulling off some decent shots. There you go. You know, routinely. Yeah. I mean, you mm-hmm. might, I mean every, anybody can get lucky on a yes. couple shots throughout the whip, but yeah. to get in, like you were saying earlier, and have the vision and mm-hmm. bring that vision Mm-hmm. up to the surface with you on the, on the camera right. takes consistency practice. Mm-hmm. and practice. Practice, knowledge, uh, just like anything else. If it was easy, if it's that easy, is it really that valuable and why would you do it? Uh, you know, I'm always like... Yeah, it, try takes, to, it takes work. Yeah, take some work. Do practice. Take, take pride take in the work. And exactly. All those now, the, the third point he makes is that uh, make subtle adjustments. Twist the strobe heads out away from the subject if you're seeing backscatter. Raise the strobes, create more shadow under the subject, move your single strobe from the 12 o'clock position above the housing to the 11 mm-hmm. or the 1 to add a touch of shadow yeah. on the side. And that's playing around with it all. All great advice. And I, and I like that he says make it subtle uh, because you go and you make a great change, it's going to you're not going to know what the in-between part, you know, elicits. So it's like anything else where you're experimenting. You don't do these huge changes. You do little subtle and, and take note. Well, that's uh, the, the I get people coming to me all the time, you know, wanting to fix it, you know, work on their buoyancy, work on their trim. And, you know, they they get a new set of fins, a new dry (laughs) suit, switch tanks. tanks. Yeah. (laughs) And I lost 30 pounds last summer. (laughs) And they go, well, it was better. It was different. (laughs) Okay. Which, which one of the 15 (laughs) things you changed did it? That's, and that's the thing. It's a combination. Everything's like a com. It's a recipe always there. The more ingredients you got in it, boy, if you, if you change every single ingredient, you yeah, won't know what was the one meal. that made the good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, the other thing uh, that he adds this little expert tip, which I agree 1000%, which is uh, even on the surface you do this, is you throw a diffuser in there. So what a light diffuser does is it, it scatters the light so it's not concentrated in like the center of the strobe. you got a hot spot in there. And so it, it 
diffuses, hence the term diffuser, it diffuses the light, makes it more spread out and even. Um, it does tone it down a, a few, which usually in, in photography, they refer to it as stops, and we're not going to get into stops, but um, it's it's barely, you know, it's a fraction of a stop that a, diff, a good diffuser will, you know, tone down the picture, which is not that big of a deal. Uh, long story short is diffusers make the light more even and soft and uh, pretty. No, on that, is there, is there a point where you, you're, you're thinking in your head, get rid of this diffuser? So I have used uh, shots where I don't use the diffuser. Uh, it's, I'm trying to think of the exact shot that I would, I would be like, oh, no. It, it's a shot where you need the highest light you can get, and you may be close, so it doesn't matter that it's, there's a hot, it's hot spot. The hot, takes, the hot spot takes up the entire photo, in other words. Um, so because of the effect. Right. And the only way you're really going to get it is by routinely playing with it. Playing yeah, with you it have and, to and know what that, you're doing getting with that it. eye yeah. for what you're looking for. But it's rare. It's rare. I almost always, I mean, I'm trying to think of a time where I've said, okay, take this diffuser off and, uh, you know, leave it, leave it off for this particular shot. Gotcha. It's, it's, it's rare. And I use, I do that more topside than I would, uh, underwater where I don't use my diffuser. Okay. So next he moves into talking about macro strobe positioning. The same basic principles apply for macro photography. But the strobe is pulled in close to the port for more precise control of the light. His main point being to create a black background, get close to the subject, then turn your strobe head about 100 degrees inward to where it is flashing mostly on your housing port. This will illuminate the subject, but not the water behind the subject. So that's one of the things that you'll notice on a lot of macro photography are those, those close-up shots mm-hmm. where you, you think that they're all shot at night. Yeah, that's called a, a low key shot. You, when you when you talk uh, photography and you say low key or high key, that refers to like high key is like a, a, one of those white background shots, and you can do that. You can make that happen using your photography settings, your your camera settings, as well. I mean, you you do need to control the background somewhat. You have to make it either far away and and backlit, you know, highlight for uh, highly lit for a high key and then a low key is the black that black background which you can get in a daylight right with the right camera settings right so that's the big difference between having the fully manual camera mm-hmm. versus just the simple click the shutter and, and have yeah. it on automatic right mm-hmm. as i can take that same shot and have a have it almost blinding white behind the subject mm-hmm. versus completely black behind the subject mm-hmm. and it's all a matter of just how i've set Yes. Whereas somebody looking to through the, looking at the photos would think one was taken in the at morning night. and one was taken at night. Right. Exactly. Uh, and, and that's all based on photography. You know your photogra- photographic skills, knowing what to do with your your camera settings, knowing where to place those lights, knowing where to place the subject in in relation to the background. And a lot of times that has to do with you. So, you know, like you can't take the fish and put it, you know, put it up above you. With the, with the surface as the background, which would give you a lot more light, you know, as a backlight. Uh, you can't do that. So you need to know how to place yourself in relationship to the subject and the ambient light or the background light. So those those two type, sh- type of shots are, are pretty common in, in macro. You know, the high key and I think the low key is probably even more predominant, which is that completely looks like... Uh, the subject is floating in blackness or something to that effect, right? right? Yeah, yeah. 
uh, and those are awesome. Well, they're they're yeah, pretty cool they're shots. Really cool shots. Yeah. When we did that Dan photo, the goddamn photo, the, uh, the photo contest, uh, the photo yes, contest yes. a couple months ago. There were some cool you know, ones, really, yeah. really cool ones like that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, and then of course we talk about the expert tip, right? Which is given in this article. So I really like this article. I mean, it's short, it's to the point. Gives some great tips. Does it go in depth? Uh, you know, into photography by no means, but it does give you some great tips on how to get lighting that you might be desiring and the effect you're desiring. But he says, you know, the backlighting will cause a creature like a nudibranch to look like nearly translucent. So in other words, you'll be able to like it looks as if you can see through it to a certain extent. Uh, emphasizing the animal's features, you know, uh, and we, you, you see those shots when you're when you're viewing, you know, different uh, magazines and whatnot. And backlighting, me obviously, backlighting is light in the background coming towards the camera. Yeah, getting it to to go through through the subject know, yeah, to a yeah, certain extent. Yeah, the way the light surrounds it is what gives it that effect. I mean, the animal may or may not be translucent, but you can give it that effect by having backlighting. There you go. I mean, there, yeah. So th- there's a, a a shot that we're looking at that there's a little bit of lighting on the subject and then there's some lighting coming from the back. And, you know, it, we it do this. It, that, it gives it that ghostly, right. really cool effect. And that's the, you know, what we were talking about earlier is that artistic effect yeah. to breaking the rules. Because, mm-hmm. you know, nowhere in the book does it say get the, uh, get the strobe away from you and shoot it back at back you. At that you, doesn't yes. make any sense. Mm-hmm. But here, it makes perfect sense yes. because of how you're trying to get that lighting to a... And the way you do that with macro is you're so close to your subject that the arm on your strobe can actually go to... It's, it's behind the subject. Maybe not directly, but it's like over it and past it. You know, it's between... It's after the subject. So your subject and lens are next to each other. And behind that, above it, is your, your is one lighting strobe... Is coming back? Right, coming from behind. Now, we do that with wide angles sometimes. We do some backlighting. We'll take some video lights and place them around a subject from behind. Or we'll take a slave strobe and set it to fire from behind but at the camera lens. And so you get you get a silhouetted effect, right? And, or a, uh, uh, like a, what's called a rim light, which is a light that goes around the subject. A lot of times for rim light, they'll come from the top. But you can also get it from the back if you have it placed just right kind of thing. And then, again, what a slave strobe is is one that triggers from a master. In other words, you can have a sensor that when you hit it with a, a master strobe, your your primary strobe off your camera, it'll trigger an electronic signal to fire another strobe that you can place in, other, in another area farther away. So you can light up something really far away, which normally you couldn't because light doesn't travel that far in water. As yeah, we it'll all never, know, right? never happen with normal cameras. So you need... Yeah that outside source to light up and then and that takes time uh-huh it takes oh, uh, it takes a yeah. it takes uh, a team in the water yes. that uh, can not only be on the same page of what we're trying to capture photo wise but communication between each other yeah. the placement getting everything ready getting out of the way getting into position it takes a lot of, a lot of work and again we go back to what we said earlier with time Mm-mm. being that big crutch or not not crutch but Big uh, uh, limiter, that, or limiting factor. Yeah, that big that, limiting factor in yeah. between photos on the surface versus mm-hmm. photos underwater mm-hmm. is, you know, the the setup of a shot like that is going to take. It's complex, a, a, right? It's going to take a good majority of your available time underwater. And and this goes back to what you know you and I talk about, and I always emphasize this as uh, you know students come to me for photography. I 
the biggest thing I tell them is you have to be a good diver. If you are if you are down there destroying the visibility or you can't get the job done because you you have equipment issues or technique issues or whatever, visibility gets destroyed, time is being used up too quick, you're never going to get the shot, right? You so what's the point? Yeah, and if it takes you three to five minutes to get your buddy's attention, just to ask yeah. them how they're doing on their gas supply, <laughs> yeah, you're going to have a hard time organizing and getting a, a photo staged up and ready to be taken. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, you bring up some great points there, too. And that's, again, this goes to being a good diver, is the awareness level. Photography, forgive the pun, causes a focus, focusing of attention. And when you're uh, into that kind of, when you're focused on the mission and you're not paying attention to your diving, as we know from, you know, reading Dan reports, the accident reports, is you're not paying attention to your diving. Your awareness is shot. You're not going to see the subtle things going wrong. You're not going to be paying attention to your gas supply as much. Uh, you're not going to be paying attention to where your partners are or what the environment, what dangers are in the environment, things like that. Yeah, uh, you're, you're, you you know, you're, you're, you're off the wall getting ready to take a shot, and mm-hmm. then you, you're, you start messing around with these strobes, and you start messing around with the setting, uh-huh. and you, know, you look back up to retake a shot of the eel that was there but now you're 40 feet deeper right yeah <laughs> than you you're were like, wait like, a minute <laughs> where, am I, where am i at it's easy right? to do things like yeah. that or, or you get you get lost in chasing the turtle down the down the the sloping wall of the reef you know, you're yeah. 140 feet oh you know, yeah you know that's an easy one too to get into it's like you see that one subject and you go after it and i i mean i'm guilty of this is i see it I got to get that shot. So I'll start swimming after it. And, uh, you know, I'm faster than that shark. So I know I can get it, but. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's, uh, and it's easy to do. So I, you know, I've got to discipline myself. Stop. Where's my team? Where am I? Well, that's where it always, I mean, that's what it always has to come back to underwater. You don't have that luxury of just like following the, following the trail, getting lost on that, you know, Mm -hmm. quest to to find the owl. Right. Like you could, if you're like walking the trails, right? Right. Underwater, you, you start chasing after that eagle ray or you start chasing after that shark. You got to remember. Or that pygmy seahorse. (laughs) They move fast. Those bastards. (laughs) Right. But you start. They're stallions. The pygmy stallion is amazing. (laughs) But you start chasing after that underwater, or you get lost in that moment. You got to remember, you've got people in the water counting on you. Right? You've still got that that team and that science and that whole physiological effect around right. you mm-hmm. that you don't have on land. Limited gas supply, uh, limited visibility, building decompression. You're, and you're in the middle of the ocean. You know, oh, you're building decompression. A huge clock. And it goes right back to that limited gas supply. You can't you can't decompress forever. Uh, should you you know accidentally extend your bottom time and require a lot more decompression, you know, and you, it's limited. Everything's limited. And I know the breather divers are like, well, my gas will be unlimited with my breather. True to a certain extent, but uh, my argument would be we shouldn't be counting on that. We should have a plan and stick to it. There are other factors that that need to be thought of, you know, besides just your gas supply. Water's cold. Hypothermia yeah. sets in. It depends on where you're diving. I mean, that's a that's a, a key one there, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, extending out, you know, an extra ten minutes on the bottom in cold water. Yeah. I mean, so another twenty minutes. Could, up, yeah, yeah. It could mean you know ten or twenty minutes more decompression. Right. So now you're a half hour. Boy, in, in, in a cold environment, that that could be really it. really yeah. bad news. Well, especially if you think about the dives we we've, we've done in these past few months, thirty minutes past our planned time. We're real. I mean, you take a risk of hypothermia really setting in 
not that we pushed our limit right to that yeah, point. Yeah, and, and like a no joke. Like, yes. like not a, I'm colder than I would like to be. Right. Like a, like a seriously, you're going to be potentially dangerous yes. cold. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And especially, I mean, we look like, look at that, uh, that Kuka dive, you're a half mile plus out on the ice. And it was already, you know, it was 10 degrees on the surface with a wind chill of minus 15. If you get out of the water there, and you didn't have something in place to stay warm, you didn't address that issue, say you had to stay later, you know, for whatever reason, you got tangled, who knows, you know, there's a million things that can happen underwater. You need to have something in place, uh, you know, to take care of that particular uh, what if. Photography lends itself. You made it out of the water. Yes, but photography (laughs) lends itself to coming into just that because you don't you're not paying attention to the time you're not paying attention to your location you could get lost real easy all that stuff so so good right so um i mean i mean that's photography mm-hmm. in general is boy i just got lost right i got lost in the photography mm-hmm. three hours just went by i was out here yeah. at the park you know taking pictures holy cow as a diver i got this cool just... picture of this dandelion I had to get it just right. It's from 90 different (laughs) angles, but... (laughs) It it took me three hours to get it, which, I mean, that's photography. I mean, and that's what so Mm -hmm. many people love about photography Mm -hmm. is they can get lost in it and they they Mm -hmm. find peace with it, Mm -hmm. you know, they they find their internal light with it. Yeah. You can't do that underwater. It's tough, yes. You don't have that luxury underwater Mm -hmm. because you have those outside limiting... Factors, Four, yeah. right? Those forces. Very good, Jamesy. Well, James cool. O. This was uh, this was a cool little uh, cool cool episode. Um, I think uh, this is what people have been asking about. Maybe we'll have to go a little bit further into we will. Uh, lighting uh, with imaging in another episode. Yeah, I'd like to talk more about you know getting fancy with your lighting. Get, I love it. I love getting it. some uh, you know multiple strobes off camera placement and slave strobes and and even i want to talk about the difference between it using a video light and a, and a strobe light well let's why, uh, let's why one over the other let's go hit our safety stop yeah get back on the boat and sign some log books and we'll come back to dive two. yeah yeah we'll do some lighting next time dive two on this charter i dig that all right brother man all right we good on we good on this yeah one? Let's, let's, uh, wrap let's, let's wrap it let's wrap it here's your, my log book Until next time, safe diving, folks. a great topic for photographers getting in with a dslr and uh, a couple of strobes now you've got folks with like those the smaller cameras and a strobe that is in my humble opinion a little too close to the lens the whole idea with a strobe is yeah, okay. you need to get it away from the lens yeah so let's um i just sent this over to you sweet baby jesus in the manger uh-oh jamesy link Open. Wide angle strobe positioning. 
Um, consider the direction. Make subtle adjustments. Uh, da, 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 da. 